Hey, folks. Welcome to another edition of The Electables. Uh, this is Doug Thornell, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Adrian, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm sitting here on a beautiful <laughs> day in Arkansas um, in my father's living room on my computer talking to you. So what can be better than that? Well... <laughs> What could be better than that could be talking to Aaron Haynes as well, who is our yes. special yes. guest. Um, Aaron is uh, a uh, former AP reporter who is now uh, the editor at large for the 19th, uh, a fantastic new organization um, that I'd love to hear more about from Aaron. And uh, she's been covering uh, politics and the intersection of race and culture. She's an award winning journalist. Um, and uh, has been at the Orlando Sentinel, the L.A. Times, the Washington Post, uh, and she's a native of Atlanta, Georgia. So, Aaron, thank you so much for joining the Electables. It's great to have you. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, greetings from rainy Philadelphia. So you guys have definitely brightened my day and oh. given me somebody <laughs> to talk to. Yeah, that's, that's how we feel, Aaron. You are, we are so happy to have you. And one thing that my dear friend Doug did not mention is that you've been writing a lot about women running for the highest office in the land. A lot of the, um, you know, issues that come with that sexism, um, you know, the misperceived notion that a woman cannot beat Trump. You've been writing a lot about that this cycle, and that is much appreciated. And I've been honored to be featured in some of your pieces or be quoted in some of your pieces. So I just want to thank you for drawing attention to such an important matter. And we are so happy to have you today. Well, thanks a lot. Both of you helped me uh, sound smarter on a regular basis. So uh, happy to try to return the favor. <laughs> well, Aaron, let's um, just kick this off by talking about, like, what are you doing every day? Like, how, what is your quarantine life like? Are you spending it by yourself? Are you spending it with your family? Do you have pets? Like, give us sort of like a picture of what your day is like. So yeah, um, like I said, uh, I am as editor at large for the 19th. I am still covering uh, the 2020 election, but but definitely like a lot of us uh, political journalists and all journalists, uh, everything is kind of being filtered through the lens of of the coronavirus. And so what that means uh, at the 19th, which uh, is a nonprofit newsroom focused on the intersection of politics, policy, and gender, uh, you know, with women being more than half the electorate and more than half the population, how is this pandemic affecting women? Uh, you know, both uh, from a politics and policy standpoint, but just from a general, uh, you know, how that's playing out in a very human and real way for for uh, for the majority of Americans. So I'm thinking a lot about that uh, while also covering an election to the extent that that, that, that is still underway. Right. I mean. Uh, I just uh, was with you a few weeks ago, feels like a year ago now on the campaign trail, Adrian, but uh, the campaign trail has gone virtual now. And so Mm -hmm. still trying to, um, you know, think about uh, the ways in which this election has changed and how that is affecting uh, the majority of voters uh, as, as we kind of get to the end of the primary season, but look ahead towards the summer and the general election. Uh, that's a lot of what I do, but it's not uh, necessarily on the ground. There is no on the ground right now. These candidates are hunkered down and, um, you know, voters are, are social distancing. So uh, reporting is, is very much happening uh, in my living room for the most part. Yeah. In your conversations with um, staffers, 
uh, Aaron, what are they? What are they telling you? What are they saying? How? I, obviously, this is a totally un, uh, new and um, unforeseen way to campaign, run a presidential campaign. Um, what have you heard from the staffers? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them, just like the rest of us, are trying to figure it out now, right? Trying to figure out, um, you know, how their candidate uh, reaches voters. Uh, a lot of that is virtual. Um, how their surrogates <laughs> reach voters and kind of carry carry the message uh, for their mm-hmm. campaign to, to folks. Um, you know, something that that a lot of a lot of them are super effective in person, and so trying to translate that into um, you know, a phone call or a webinar uh, is is uh, really their their new reality. But you know, uh, just a, a, because we've been dealing with these folks and we've been dealing with each other so much over the past year and some change, you know, I think a lot of us too, just frankly, are checking in on each other. You know, how are you has been a question that that folks want a real answer to on on both sides. And so, um, you know, I think that that has also been kind of a nice part of that is is for reporters and um, the folks that we cover, the sources that we deal with um, for, for both sides to remember, you know, kind of the human side of this for people and just to just to make sure that, that folks are okay. I mean, I can think of a source that I talked to recently, you know, I started the call asking how she was and, you know, it led to a conversation about how her father was in assisted living and, and she wasn't able to see him. She hadn't been able to see him in several days and she was worried about him. You know what I mean? And so like at that point for me, the interview stops, right? Like I want to talk to you about how we help you and your father reconnect, you know, how, how you, you know, are able to, to get a camera into, into his apartment so that you guys can have that face-to-face connection. Um, you know, so yeah, I think, for me, remembering the human side of, of this job um, has definitely come into focus as, as much as anything else. And I, I love the way you phrased that, Erin, because you're right. You know, I think we, we all work. You, you work in journalism. Daddy and I both work in politics. We both have a lot of clients. Um, and we're just so used to going nonstop, having just, you know, packed days filled with meetings and whatnot, and we oftentimes don't take a moment to really step back and ask the people that we're talking to, ask our friends and our colleagues, how are you doing? And I think it's so important to do that right now because, you know, not only how people are doing in terms of their own physical health, but also their mental health. I mean, we're kind of, you know, early on in this quarantine process, but, you know, Lord knows how long this is going to take. And, you know, frankly, I wish, you know, our president and I wish that, you know, a significant majority of Americans would be fine quarantining for six, seven weeks, whatever it takes to get um, to address this and nip it in the bud so that we don't have to come keep coming back to this virus. And most importantly, we can save lives. Um, It's really been shocking. I mean, I'm, I'm from I'm from Arkansas and there are a lot of folks here who watch Fox News and a lot of folks who unfortunately listen to Fox early on when Fox is saying, oh, this is a hoax, this is being perpetuated by the far left, you know, they're trying to take Donald Trump down, they're trying to help Joe Biden, Um, don't listen to them, this is not a big deal. And it's really disturbing because they tend to still think that this is just all kind of, not everybody here, of course, but there are quite a few folks who believe what they listen to on Fox News and believe that this is not as big of a deal as, um, as it really truly is. And so that's a little disturbing here too. Um, so, Erin, let's pivot a little bit uh, back 
to the campaign trail. Tell me what you're hearing. How are campaigns, well, I guess really at this point, how are Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders campaigns dealing with this pandemic, dealing with this um, virtual reality of the campaign trail? Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, just time seems to really make no sense right now, right? I mean, can you remember that just a little over a week ago was our last debate? It doesn't feel like that was just so weird. The day before yesterday, um, but in fact, it was. Uh, and so, um, you know, that was the last time we really kind of uh, saw them, you know, on a national stage in that way. And even then, there was no audience for that debate. So it was just kind of a really different reality for that, uh, you know, the, the debate dynamic that we're used to. Um, yeah, I, again, I mean, it, a lot of it has, has been called um that that uh that they've done with the press that they've done with their supporters um you know and and also just uh for vice president biden i think he really is trying to position himself as kind of um a shadow president who is trying to look presidential and show um you know that he has had some experience dealing with a pandemic before and 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 uh trying to remind voters of, of that as as they um at least were voting in primaries up to this point. I mean, as you know, uh, several states that had upcoming primaries on the calendar have postponed those primary dates, uh, you know, hoping uh, for safer conditions uh, uh, for voters to participate in. Uh, and as far as Senator Sanders, you know, he has, you know, he's obviously um, behind in the, um, in the electoral, uh, the delegate count. And so he's taking some time, frankly, because we have, you know, at least, a, a little over a month before the next primary is scheduled. And that's, you know, if those are not pushed back as well, he's got some time to kind of think about what he wants to do next, what his supporters are wanting to do next. And he is also in the Senate trying to hammer out a deal on, um, on, on coronavirus legislation. And so, you know, he is definitely trying to keep uh, his supporters abreast of, uh, and, and potential supporters abreast of what he uh, the work that he's trying to do in the Senate to to um, to get that deal done, um, but but that I, I feel like everything uh, related to this election right now is just really colored through the lens of of this global pandemic and and how the candidates are are responding to it. Aaron, have you gotten any in- intel on how fundraising is going? We've got a end of the month. We, or we've got the quarter ending in just uh, a few days, a, a week, um, important first quarter. Uh, have you gotten any indications from any of the campaigns, Biden, Sanders, Trump, what their expectation is for fundraising? I, I, I don't really have a lot of intel on that, but I do, I, 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 I do know, I, I mean, campaigns are sensitive, uh, right, about, about fundraising, especially in this home stretch, because, you know, in this last month, you have had, uh, you know, folks who would have been potential, at least smaller donors, um, real folks who are thinking about um, the economic impact on their lives. You know, I'm sure that, that fundraising and donating to the candidate of their choice, you know, is not necessarily a priority uh, for them right now when they're having to think about how to keep groceries in the house and how to keep mortgages and rents paid and utilities paid for, uh, you know, how to, how to um, still do all of that and, and even find the 5 10 or $20 to donate to somebody to keep their campaign going. 
uh, it's probably a challenge, but, you know, I, I would also say, you know, it probably does not hurt that these candidates are not having to be on a campaign trail on the road doing events that are very costly. Uh, you know, so, um, they are able to conserve some of what they've raised so far, uh, or, or shift that to digital ad spending, uh, which we've certainly seen increase, um, in the past, uh, few weeks. Uh, with, 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 with this campaign shifting, uh, to, to a virtual, to a more virtual setting. But yeah, it will, it will definitely be interesting to see, um, you know, Vice President Biden hasn't really been able to kind of capitalize in the traditional ways, if you will, um, on his recent primary victories or even his debate performance. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily translating into, uh, you know, a big boost in, in fundraising. Uh, I don't think so far. And, and um, I, I also wonder conversely if, um, you know, despite Senator Sanders' um, performance in, in recent primaries, uh, you know, has that, has that, how has that impacted or has that impacted uh, his supporters' willingness and ability to, to give uh, to his campaign, even though, uh, you know, the path is looking less and less probable for him uh, to, to the nomination? Aaron, are you concerned that President Trump is going to try to move the general election date because of Corona? Well, I think it's definitely something that's on voters' minds. Uh, we see that uh, a lot. That question being um, posed a lot, uh, especially on social media. Um, you know, I think that th we are in an unprecedented time, and you know, if this is, you know, if, if the election or, or the safety and integrity of our election is, is if, if that kind of becomes the, the narrative, uh, you know, I, I could see that as a scenario that is, is on the table, uh, you know, from uh, the president who, um, you know, has, you know, he's not able to do his rallies uh, right now, obviously, because because of safety concerns. But I think, uh, you know, he is that he is being impacted by this election as well. And, and you just wonder, you know, depending on his poll numbers and depending on, um, you know, what he thinks his chances are, it, it has to be an open question of, of whether this is something that he would consider uh, along with, um, you know, whether this is safe, uh, it is safe for Americans to kind of vote en masse in the way that we are used to doing uh, this November. Eric, I mean, Doug, are you concerned about Trump trying to move the general election? <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been concerned about that for three weeks. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I have too. And, uh, you know, I, and that's why, you know, you're seeing a lot of governors step up, you're seeing a lot of um, you know, there was a big op-ed today in USA Today from Tom Perez and um, a few other leaders in our party really making the case that we don't need to move the election, that we can do, you know, if it comes down to it and people don't feel safe, but voting in person, that every single state should make it as easy as possible to vote by mail, um, you know, to vote early, to go um, to, you know, voting locations that have, you know, a much smaller um, population coming in and out so that they feel safer going in there. Um, but I am concerned about it too. I mean, I think this is something that you're starting to see emanate from the White House. Um, you know, if, if, if the economy is going south, which we have every reason to believe that there will be in November, um, if, 
you know, we're still dealing with this virus and Trump is mishandling it like he has been the entire time and people are dying, um, to put it bluntly, and Trump's chances for re-election look pretty, for lack of a better term, shitty, um, I think he's going to do everything he can to delay this election. It's a really, it's a big concern. You know, John Meacham had this fantastic op-ed in the Washington Post over the weekend where he really laid out the case to make sure that we don't delay the election. He talked about, um, you know, that we've gone through some really trying times in the nation, the Great Depression, World War II, um, you know, many instances where voting still went on. People still voted. It is their um, it is their sacred right. It is something that we fought for as a nation. And although this pandemic is stressful, and I think we're still going to be going through it to a degree in November, we shouldn't delay voting. And it's a real concern, I think, to a lot of us that Trump is going to try to do everything he can um, to make the case to delay the election. Congress has a say. Um, the Senate um, you know, is obviously still in Republican hands and will be by the time the election rolls around. So there is some concern that perhaps the Senate would delay this. But Doug, I mean, and both of you, what, what do you what do you guys think the chances are if this actually were to, you know, if Trump were to actually try to go forward with this? Uh, look, I think it creates, a um, you know, a lot of I think it would create um well, there's two things. First of all, you know, if if, if we do, if uh, obviously I think we should keep the election, we shouldn't change it. We've gone through a civil war in this country and held an election. Um, but, you know, uh, that would require f- every single state in our territories to uh, each of them would have to change, probably change how they do their voting. And, um, you know, there be there. I think you're going to have a lot of states who would be fine with that. And then there's going to be some who won't be fine with it. Um, but, uh, particularly the Republican states. Um, but yeah, look, I, I've been concerned about this, that Trump would use this as an excuse to delay the, to delay the election, um, for quite some time now. And, um, I just don't put much past him right now. Uh, and so I think you just have to, I think American people have to be prepared for just about anything from this white house. Aaron, I don't know if you've got a take on that. Um, Yeah, I think I think uh, I, I think it would be very difficult to uh, delay or you know to postpone this election uh, just for all the reasons that Doug just said. I mean, logistically, uh, it would just be very difficult. I I, I think um, you know probably and expensive. It would be very expensive, and I think there there is already conversation. You know, trying to trying to shift towards. Uh, you know, absentee ballots, mail-in ballots. I mean, there are some states that, that do their elections completely by mail. You know, so, um, you know, that may be, uh, you know, the good news is, you know, unlike a primary, we still have several months to prepare for that eventuality. Like, if that was something that, that we wanted to consider, I mean, that is that is a scenario that secretaries of state could begin to prepare for or have a, try to have a plan for uh, right now. Uh, you know, that is something that, that could start, even if we don't need it, um, which hopefully we won't, uh, right? By November, hopefully uh, we will have a better handle on on this um, health, on this public health crisis. But in the event that we don't, uh, considering alternate ways for folks to participate in our democracy in November is, is something uh, that we need to be having a discussion about now. 
Aaron, quick question. Uh, you wrote a piece for the 19th uh, on potential Biden running mates. And uh, I just love to get your thoughts on it. You went through uh, Biden. Biden said in the most recent debate that he would, you know, that he plans to pick a woman to be his running mate. And you went through some of the uh, contenders. Uh, love to hear who they are and who do you think is uh, in the in the uh, top spot right now. Yeah, well, it, it, it is interesting, you know, now that we have Vice President Biden. Uh, declaring publicly, you know, for the first time on a debate stage that um, he would put a woman on the ticket uh, should he become the nominee, which is looking like a more and more likely scenario um, with every primary. Uh, you know, now that, that now that that's officially uh, out in the atmosphere, uh, kind of handicapping uh, the folks who have, have been widely discussed. And, uh, you know, I think it is an important thing to remind people that, that Yes, we've never had a woman president, but we've also never had a woman vice president. And so, you know, I think that there's still a, a potential to make history here uh, for for a woman in this in this 2020 cycle. And I think that that is I, I know that that's the thing that I'm hearing uh, from a lot of women voters who, you know, now that there is no uh, path to uh, the, the nomination or, or to the presidency for a woman in 2020 are wondering what their return on their investment is going to be, their investment being their vote. Uh, what is the return on that investment going to be uh, this fall? Uh, and particularly for women of color and, and black women who are the, the, the backbone of the Democratic Party, um, I, think, I, I think even more than a woman on the ticket, a woman of color and a black woman on the ticket um, is, is something that uh, I think could be a very likely scenario. And, and a lot of the names that you hear uh, are black women, uh, obviously Kamala Harris, um, the senator from California, but also uh, Val Demings, uh, the congresswoman from Florida who had a star turn in the impeachment hearing. I love her. Name you hear a lot. Uh, somebody whose name you hear a lot. Um, but then also um, some different names that, that uh, you know, uh, have not come up as often, but, but are kind of... Um, maybe a little different in thinking in terms of leadership and, and experience. Susan Rice, former national security advisor, her name has been brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms out of Atlanta. Mayor Bottoms was an early surrogate of, of Vice President um, Biden's. And if you just think about in terms of, of loyalty, which I know was a huge um, characteristic that he had, you know, serving under President Barack Obama, she's certainly somebody who, who fits that bill. Uh, and then Stacey Abrams, who ran for uh, governor of Georgia in 2018, and you know, despite losing, you know, had I should say, despite not becoming governor, which is how she frames it, right? Um, she uh, was able to expand the electorate, uh, the Democratic electorate in Georgia, in, in a way that, that that the state had never seen before. And so uh, she's somebody who really has a blueprint for how to win and how to really kind of build the kind of coalition. Uh, that he would need to win, but somebody who also, frankly, is very aware of the threat of, of voter suppression in our upcoming election and, and um, you know, could could keep that on the radar for, for voters headed into November. So, um, you know, while I think uh, names like Senator Klobuchar and Senator Warren, who uh, were uh, among the last women to exit the 2020 field, are, are frequently mentioned, like I said, um, reflecting diversity 
uh, both in terms of race and gender, I think is something uh, that um, the vice president has to be weighing in, in trying to make this decision. And Aaron, you talk you talk a little bit about um, when you talk about Stacey Abrams in, in your piece. Um, you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of her. And I thought Liz Smith, who of course is a former senior, I guess still is a senior advisor to uh, Pete Buttigieg, but was in that role on his campaign. Liz, who's also a, a dear friend of Doug and mine, and is, is a dear friend of this podcast too, makes a really interesting point that maybe because of the way the coronavirus is playing out that that's really sort of hurt Stacey Abrams' chance because she doesn't have the kind of national level experience that somebody would need walking into the White House to handle this if something were to happen to the president. Um, And I think, you know, something that certainly has been talked about quite a bit, um, not necessarily directly from the Biden campaign, but I think it's implied, is that due to the vice president's age, he would be looking for a running mate who would be younger who is somebody who, um, you know, is younger, but also could step into that Oval Office should something happen to him health-wise. And I wonder what your your personal take is on that. Do you think that because of the, you know, sort of turn of events and the current crisis that we're facing with this pandemic, that that hurts Stacey Abrams' chances? Or do you think she's still very much in the mix? Well, I think, you know, she is, is somebody who certainly has an impressive uh, list of credentials uh, in terms of her uh, leadership and, and political resume. But I also, you know, I do think, um, I think the candidates probably have this front of mind when they're considering, um, you know, their vice presidential uh, running mate, uh, you know, that who is going to be ready on day one to handle a national crisis. But, you know, I think, um, so much of uh, the narrative that a lot of us in the media had was, you know, well, who is the person that's going to really excite voters, you know, both in terms of the presidential candidate and, and then the person that they, they picked to partner with them on that ticket. Um, but, but exciting people seems to be, uh, it's interesting, that could be less of a litmus test now. And, and, and Stacey Abrams was certainly somebody who, um, you know, as well as being qualified was somebody who, a lot of voters, especially black women voters, seem to be very excited about casting a ballot for, right? Um, and so uh, that that enthusiasm seemed to come through a lot more uh, when I was talking to voters um, as, as, you know, in terms of like why they, why she's somebody that they would have wanted to see on the ticket. Um, but now, yeah, I, I think that when I when I hear from people who maybe, uh, you know, gravitate to somebody like a Senator Harris, for example, you know, they've seen her in action in the Senate hearings. They see her out front kind of talking about the coronavirus and, and, and how the, the, the types of things that she's thinking about that should be in, in the in the in a legislative package. And so, you know, she's somebody who, who kind of looks the part right now. Uh, and, and so I think that 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 could um play a factor into, uh, you know, that, that may give her, you know, somewhat of an advantage uh, if if uh, what we're talking about right now is uh, the kind of the excitement versus experience uh, argument for who should be on that ticket. So you've been, Aaron, you've been very generous with your time. I've got one last question and then I'll let you go. Um, just give us a little uh, sense of what the 19th is about. Absolutely. So we have been in the world almost two months this week, uh, which I'm so excited about. The 19th is Woo-hoo. really, uh, yes, yeah, thank, thank you so much. Um, 
And, and really, you know, the 19th uh, named for the 19th Amendment, which, uh, you know, frankly, before all of this happened, uh, we were uh, very excited to be marking the centennial of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, even with, you know, kind of the recognition that, that when the 19th Amendment was ratified, that did not give all women access to the franchise. There were still uh, women of color who had to wait uh, generations before they were able uh, to fully participate in, in our electoral process. But, uh, you know, really the 19th exists out of the recognition that women are the majority of the American electorate. And, and yet we do not really see ourselves reflected uh, as a voting bloc. Uh, we don't really see ourselves reflected uh, in terms of our representation in government uh, or in American newsrooms uh, in the way that we should be around uh, coverage of politics. And, you know, we operate from the premise that all issues are women's issues. And so really thinking about what it means to frame uh, our political conversation through the lens of, of the majority of American voters. That's fantastic. And you can, you can, uh, you can visit the 19th at 19thnews.org and Aaron what's your uh what's your Twitter handle my Twitter handle is at emarvelous very easy to remember and also the 19th is it at 19th news so at 19th news Adrian you got anything else for Aaron no Aaron thank you so much you've been wonderful and we really appreciate all of your time and thank you for joining us today well, thank you for having me. Stay, so, uh, stay social distancing, wash your hands, and, and be safe out there, you guys. I feel like my hands, if anybody has any tips besides, I guess, just slathering on greasy lotion, my hands are so dry because I wash them nonstop. Yeah. So if anybody <laughs> has any tips, please let me know. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Stay safe. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. You too. For my partner in crime, Adrian Elrod, this is Doug Thornell. This has been The Electables, and we'll catch you next time.